0: Hello, Cinefans. I'm Kendall Kruver, and this is Watching Classic Movies. My guest, Kristen Lopez of Ticklish Business, is one of my favorite classic film bloggers and podcasters. She's long had an interest in classic film biopics. We talked about the hits and misses in this most fascinating genre. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: This is such a treat. I have enjoyed following your reviews of biopics. I I realized when I checked the other day for nine years. The first (laughs) post was from 2013, I think. Wow. Yeah. Because you have reviewed and watched so many of these movies, what pops out to you when you think about classic film biopic? Like What performances are like, oh, yeah. That's the first thing you think about.
1: Ooh. So, I mean, there, it's a twofold concept because you have biopics as defined by the TV movie, which was really in its heyday in the 1970s and the 1980s, a little bit of the early 2000s. But we don't necessarily see it as heavily as we as we used to. And for some of those, you know, I think of like the big TV stars like Lonnie Anderson playing Jane Mansfield or Sherilyn Fenn playing Liz Taylor. These actors did not look like the performers they were performing, but they were big stars at the time. Uh, you know, I, I, Linda Carter playing Rita Hayworth, which is actually one of the more interesting elements because most people don't know that Linda Carter is actually Latina, much like Rita Hayworth was. What I always appreciate is that in the TV movie world, there was more of an eye towards casting for recognition as opposed to trying to get. A performance right with film especially though if you have a bigger budget you have more time you can really do a lot of of extra stuff you can make it look very period authentic i think of like catherine hepper's portrayal in the aviator is played by Ooh. Keith Blanchette being a high point you can get really big names but the the performance that i always say head head above everything else tv and film the biopic that I always appreciate in terms of finding a great performer who looks like the person that they're emulating and, and tells a really good story is the Lifetime original movie, The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yes. Uh, with Kelly Garner as as Marilyn Monroe. Full disclosure, Kelly Garner and I are, are, are friends, but I think what she gave to that film is such a fantastic performance. She The, the attention to detail in her look was fantastic. And there are moments where I watch that movie and I really do feel like I'm seeing Marilyn Monroe, which does not happen often. There's a lot of biopics and you don't really get those moments of transformation. And I think that that happens a lot
0: in that film. That particular performance kind of made me believe in the concept of a biopic because she was, it was just those little ticks. You know what I mean? Like, just the way yeah. she would turn her head or move her mouth. But she toned it down as, like, I'm not on TV. I'm talking to my mom. I'm talking to my psychiatrist. Like, she, she made it a real person who still had those tics but just wasn't on. And I thought that was so remarkable. Such an intelligent performance, really.
1: It really is. It's one of the only Marilyn biopics of Fellmore TV that has been directed by a woman. And I think that is a huge distinction, too, because we have to remember with a biopic specifically, it's a story about a real person that's being filtered, filtered through a screenwriter's interpretation, filtered by a director's interpretation. And that often leaves a lot of people being able to control a narrative. And in the case of Marilyn biopics, having seen almost all of the ones that exist, Marilyn either falls into two camps which is tragic little girl or tragic love lord person. You know, she's very much defined in film by men. And I think that The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe is one of the few, if not the only Marilyn biopic that says, yes, she had bad relationships with men, but what if a lot of the issues were because of her mother and the relationship there and the lack of female support and really treating her as a person first instead of a victim or Mm -hmm. a bombshell or a sex symbol. And it's really a great example too of why I wish that more of these biopics were being given to women because I think that there's a really great way that you can tell a different story because of a different perspective, you know? And I, I mean, there's a lot of biopics that I wish we had, you know, biopics are very much still a white male Thing. you know yeah. you really want like a big name I, I was just talking about this a couple months ago the lack of old Hollywood biopics about black talent we <laughs> have never had a Hattie McDaniel biopic which is utterly insane to me we've never had a Rita Hayworth biopic we've never had you know any of the great actors that are, are people of color in this industry that, that made the industry Paul Rosen, Oscar Michaud I mean some of these big names that you're like how have we never seen their story but we have nine Marilyn Monroe biopics.
0: Oscar Michaud, that would be an amazing miniseries. Yeah. There would yeah, be so know, much to tell.
1: I know that Barry Jenkins at one point was talking about doing a Paul Robeson biopic, which I was really excited about. I think that that's gone by the wayside. So it's very fascinating to me. And I mean, I think we could, you know, chalk it up to Hollywood short sightedness about who they feel is worthy of getting a biopic. I know that a couple yeah. years ago I interviewed an actress for a different article. I an actress a couple years ago about a different project and we had started talking about Carol Lombard. And my, my feeling that the actress at one time resembled Carol Lombard and she said, well I tried to get a Carol Lombard biopic pitched once. And the studio told her no because no one knows who Carol Lombard is. And that broke my heart because I think that there's still this belief to intensify now in name recognition, so yeah. it's, and it's a lot like publishing. I mean, you can get a book published on Marilyn Monroe or Audrey Hepburn all day every day; those books will always sell. But if you want to write a book about somebody that maybe the classic film community knows, but Susan in Chicago who watches, you know, Marvel movies doesn't know, then how do you get that? That person to buy that book. And I think that it's the same with biopics. Dalton Trumbo, nobody knows who Dalton Trumbo is, but if you sell that as a Brian Cranston movie about injustice, you know, kind of remove the classic Hollywood elements, that's an easier sell than I want to make a Dalton Trumbo
0: movie. So you're kind of back to that movie of the week philosophy where you're just casting a star instead of looking for a, a match in personality or vibe.
1: Exactly, exactly, and, I, and I, it's, it's always fun to me to talk, you know, especially on our podcast Ticklish Business with people that are associated to, to classic film people about biopics, you know, talk to people about, you know, who, uh, who knew Veronica Lake, you know, who would you want to get in a Veronica Lake movie? Um, you know, I asked John Garfield's daughter, uh, you know, I kind of talked to her about my dream of, of seeing a John Garfield biopic one day, and I said, who would you want? As, as John Garfield and she said I'd want an unknown and I said mm, it's a great dream but that doesn't with movies I'm like you know my, my go to argument is I always say like, John Brenthal looks just like John Garfield she was not happy with that suggestion she said I don't see the resemblance I don't think he's good looking I don't think it's going to work and you know I think that's the big thing too and we're seeing it a lot now as studios are. you know we're seeing two Fred and Ginger movies coming out Chris Evans mm-hmm. playing Gene Kelly in a movie. A lot of discussion about life rights and likenesses and stuff like that. And I know that in some instances, certain actors can even want people playing them in a movie. Um, so seeing a lot of studios try to keep the biopic genre alive, but going through these really interesting loopholes to be able to tell the story that they want mm-hmm. without offending an estate or any surviving connections to that person.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about a stare. He didn't <laughs> want it at all, did he? I don't yeah. think he did.
1: Yeah, and and I know that in certain instances, you know with the Gene Kelly thing, you know Gene Kelly's widow said she, he didn't want anybody telling uh, a biopic about him. And so if you read the premise of this this Chris Evans Gene Kelly movie, it's not really about Gene Kelly, it's about this kid who's on the lot. and He meets Gene Kelly. So that's a way to get around it. You know, I know with we've got some these about current events happening right now where they've, you know, gone to specific articles. So they're not asking the subjects of those shows. They're they're like, we bought the rights to this article, so we can use that as opposed to having to go to the performers and ask for permission.
0: And I can see the point in that because it's a story driven approach and that's gonna be for the better as far as making a movie. Exactly. I mean, it's the same with reading biographies.
1: You know, I tend to kind of eschew reading autobiographies, especially about classic film stars, because in many instances, especially, you know, early early in the writing process, you know, you look at some of the stars that published their own autobiographies when people were still alive. There's a tendency to soften, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe not offend. It, but at the same time, it also does make you question kind of the first-hand account element of it. If you're doing a biopic, and as we've seen, to go back to Marilyn Monroe, filtering, you kind of need somebody telling a story that at least is maybe closer to the real person's life, as opposed to this very heightened thing. You know, the Fred and Ginger movie they're making right now, it's talking about the relationship between Fred and Ginger. And Most classic film fans know Fred and Ginger did not have any type of romantic relationship. The question is, why tell that type of story? Because in many instances, most of the people that are going to be watching this don't have the knowledge that you or I have about the classic film community. And it's unfortunate that that becomes fact. You know, a lot of people who have watched, like, Being the Ricardos this, this, the last couple of months have been bringing up stories about, oh, Judy Holiday And I'm like, you know, that's actually correct. Judy Holiday was not auditioning for The Big Street alongside Lucille Ball. She wasn't even a big performer in 42, if at all. She wasn't because even the game. artistic license. Um, And that that becomes the sad thing, I think, about biopics, as much as I love them, um, is that a lot of it becomes fact unless you're willing to do the
0: research. I think a good example of that is the Jane Mansfield story, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of it that does ring true. There were things that were correct, but it was also just so strongly in in Mickey Hargitay's um, POV. Exactly, which, of one. No, no, and, and it just, it, it, it did affect the story. It wasn't as good because it just felt like he was telling his side of it as opposed to doing a full, rich story.
1: Exactly, exactly. I, you know, I was fortunate to talk to Lonnie Anderson about, about making that movie, and you know, she was very clear about, well, it's not necessarily the truth of Jane Mansfield, it's, it's his interpretation of the truth. And I'd love to see a, a proper neutral, if any movie neutral, look at Jane Mansfield. Because yeah. again, I feel like she's one of those actresses that, as we're seeing now with, you know, like Pamela Anderson and Britney Spears and these other women that we've maligned for decades, you know, kind of getting a, a second look and saying, like, maybe we kind of sucked as humans. I would love something yeah. similar for Jane. Um, but I think Jane, the Jane Mansfield story is actually a film that even though it's not 100% accurate, Bonnie Anderson does not 100% look like Jane Mansfield. I think it captures the spirit. of The Jane Mansfield lifestyle, you know, it's larger than life. Jane is very much in control in that movie of her publicity. And I think that's what I really appreciate about it, is that it's not the story of this bubblegum dumb blonde. It's about a woman that understood that Hollywood being run by men was very much about, you know, having to exploit your sexuality. If anybody's going to exploit it, it might as well have been her. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really interesting, different type of way of doing a biopic that we don't really get enough of because the myths endure. So it's easier to to keep telling the, the myth Liberty Valance style than it is to maybe say, maybe we were wrong about this person. Maybe we should do something to tell a different story. It's, again, why we have another Marilyn movie coming out at some point that allegedly is very much built around her as a, a victim of trauma, which is just insane to me that we're still telling that tale.
0: What I would love to see shown about Monroe is the fact that she was really a rather quirky person, eccentric. Like, the one star who... Well, okay, a little bit Jane Russell, but the one star who really in his memories of her tapped into those things was Robert Mitchum. Just him talking about her making these absurd drinks because she just didn't know any better how to do it. And just her her interests being far ahead of the time, her politics being far ahead of the time. I would love to see that Monroe in a film.
1: Exactly. There's so much about Marilyn that I think that we still aren't really talking about. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that she was one of the few female producers especially with, with a big name, you know, the fact that she struggled to have a child and, and she wanted to, to raise a family, the fact that, you know, she did struggle with not men- necessarily possibly mental illness, but the fear, the chronic fear that she was going to become mentally ill because of her predispositions to it. I mean, all of that implies a woman that was far smarter than she's ever been given credit for. Yeah. And I think that's why I appreciate The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe, because it at least attempts to tell those those types of stories. And I mean, mm-hmm. I get it. With a, such a larger-than-life character, people expect certain things. It's why a lot of the Marilyn movies recreate the 7 year itch moment, and you have to see certain outfits. But I think that what, what that movie does especially is kind of show the inner turmoil of being perceived in a certain way. Which I, which I really, really appreciate, and wish more movies did. You know, conversely, at the opposite end of that spectrum, it's really fascinating. The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe was this attempt by Lifetime to make serious films, and then I don't know what happened, but they immediately followed it up. Maybe not immediately. I think there was some time in between with um uh, the, the Elizabeth Taylor story with Lindsay Lohan as Elizabeth Taylor, and that series again, you're dealing with two of the biggest names in classic film dump. such huge personalities but because of the small budget because of a truncated shooting schedule and because of the script that really just saw these two people as caricatures it's this really ridiculous movie That it's it's biopic 101 and I see it a lot in biopics and it always irks me they lived as like the movie characters they were and that's kind of yes. what is, and Dick does is it says like all of that stuff you saw on screen that was exactly how they were um, mm-hmm. Carolyn Lombard is, a, is another good example with Jill Claberg and uh, James Berlin from the, I think it's the 80s you know, it pretty much just says like Carol Lombard was this daffy screwball chick just like in her movies he was this stoic, romantic leading man just like in his movies you know, and even the scenes that they play of their meet cute feels like a screwball film and that's not really telling me a story I could just go watch their movies that you know i i want to know what it's what they were like when the cameras stopped rolling and there seems to be this belief that because it was old hollywood like there was no distinction like it was they were always on and we know that's not true
0: well do you think to a degree they also think that the audience is expecting that kind of thing and would be disappointed if it showed a more behind the scenes kind of personality
1: the case of Liz and Dick you know you need a couple things you need diamonds you need fighting a lot of sex you know you need those things because you expect it but I think there's a way to do those things and tell a story you know Mm -hmm. with with Elizabeth with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton you know there's this deep love that they had for each other and yet at the same time they were both very dominant personalities that both wanted very different things from their career Um, And if you watch the Liz and Dick movie, it's very much portraying Richard Burton as this whiny boy who doesn't like that, you know, National Velvet is more popular than he is. And tell that story, but it comes off as so petulant, and she comes off as just as petulant. Baby voice, and, you know, throwing things, and having tantrums, and it's just... Really need a good story and a good script, you know. Not to say that some of those TV movies, you know, can't be a lot of fun. I think Liz and Dick is a lot of fun, but
0: it it wasn't as campy as I'd hoped because I knew it wasn't going to be good, you know. So I thought it'd be a little more. And and I mean, I I love Lindsay Lohan, but I did think that she wasn't well cast in that role.
1: No, she was not well well cast, and if you know not to show for our, our podcast, but we, we did an episode on Liz and Dick, and, and in that episode, we talked a lot about how the shooting schedule was insane. I think it was like maybe like a, if a month, if that, and that Lindsay Lohan was working so, so much yeah. she actually got into a car accident and, and had to be hospitalized, but she went back to the set, literally, I think, within a couple of hours, and yet, the stories in the papers, or on the tabloids at that time was that you know, Lindsay Lohan's a drunk, she's difficult, like, she was in a car crash, and then went back to work, I don't really think that's being difficult, I think that's more than being a team player, and they, that also didn't help, you know, I think there's this belief that, like, you cast actors because of some connection, and I think in the case of Liz and Dick, they cast Lindsay Lohan because they thought that Liz Taylor was a lot like Lindsay Lohan, and vice versa, and very different. You know, that says more about the production, I think, than the actual kick figures you're dealing
0: with. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, and it's interesting, just Elizabeth Taylor in general, how many actresses have portrayed her and how different they all are.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen many of the, the Liz Taylor movies. The, the sad fact is, is a lot of these movies are not readily available to watch. So, you know, you usually go to YouTube or, or more illicit means to try to find copies of them. I have seen the Liz Taylor movie with Sherilyn Fenn also was a lifetime movie from the mid nineties when Sherilyn Fenn was, um, was still on off of put peaks. and you know, she's beautiful. I, I don't think she looks like Liz Taylor, um, but I think that she tries that movie also tries to do something a little bit different in focusing on the relationship between Elizabeth Taylor and, and Montgomery cliff.
0: Yes. And, again,
1: surprised has not been told a thousand times in these types of movies. But it's still stymied by budget and a weak script. Not to say that movies are better than the TV counterparts because they have bigger scripts and bigger budgets. I'm one of the few people that did not like Trumbo when it came out, mostly just because the script was not that good. So just because a movie is a movie as opposed to a TV movie mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a better biopic.
0: I do agree with you, though, with the Finn movie that showing that relationship, just that it was this huge platonic romance and kind of central in their lives. I, I was really impressed with that.
1: Exactly. And I think there's there's still so many lives that we have not shown. It's one of the things that people bring up all the time. Do we need another Marilyn movie? Do we need two Fred and Ginger movies? Do we need this? And I think that I really wish Hollywood would take a chance, especially as we're talking so much about the fact that audiences of color continue to make big box office sense. You know, I'm yeah. still shocked that we don't have, you know, more movies about like, people of color. I know we have it. There's a really great Dorothy Dandridge movie with Halle Berry, won her a golden globe. You know, she's great in it. We've never decided to do another Dorothy Dandridge movie. That, I and it was a hit. Of a lot of, it's, it's really good. And I know a lot of people have been saying like, well, we already have one. We don't need more, <laughs> but I think it's, the fact that option, you know, I think I want the choice of being like, okay, well, at least if this one's bad, I have this good one that I can watch. You know, we don't stop making Maryland movies just because everybody thought that my, my week with Maryland was the best. Uh, we don't stop making World War II movies, you know, because mm-hmm. that this one is definitive. I think that it just shows kind of Hollywood's continued short-sightedness and saying like, well, nobody wants a Hattie. even nobody wants a movie about the nicholas brothers like who are they Uh, you know i think there's so many other actors that have contributed if the goal is to honor classic film history by telling these stories it wasn't a white world it was predominantly that but there were creatives of color i mean geez we have stories about alfred hitchcock you know two movies about alfred hitchcock no biopic about Dorothy Arster or Ida Lupino, you know, one of the, the few female
0: filmmakers at that time. Or Joan Harrison, who worked yes. with Hitchcock. Oh, that would be amazing. Exactly. Because just this goth gal out there <laughs> doing these gritty stories. I mean, think about how big yeah. I've talked about this with Christina Lane, who was um, Harrison's biographer. Like she would have had a crime yeah. podcast, you know, like yeah. I feel like that ties right into current interests
1: vampyra we've, yes. we've seen her portrayed and stuff like ed wood is kind of like the side character but you know if you read um glamour ghoul the book by her her niece you know there was a lot of not necessarily sadness but just bad luck and bad timing and yeah. you know A lot of people have been inspired by her look, but she was never given proper credit for it. Like, that's a really interesting story. And Vampyra, whether you know her name or not, you know her look. I think that that is so amazing. In fact, she knew all these people. You know, she was hanging out with James Dean and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it shocks me that this is. But I would really love more Distinction in the biopic game. You know, not that I don't love. The umpteenth Judy Garland movie which again we've, we've had some good ones I would just like to see something a bit different you know and I think what people tend to forget too is that biopics in many ways create the next generation of classic film fans
0: that's you true know? somebody mm-hmm. can
1: watch that movie and say like I don't know a lot about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz but now that I've watched this movie and I'm kind of into this I want to read more about Desi Lu and I want to watch more of their the work that they did and that does, that does help. You know, I know for me, it, it's kind of shocking to say, but I always tell people that one of the big entries for me into classic film was watching Mommy Dearest, and and as, as shocking and, in some cases, bad, as I, I maintain, I don't think that movie is bad. I think that movie is interesting.
0: Um, no, I love Frank Perry.
1: <laughs> controversial as that film is, you know, it was the first time I'd ever heard anybody, you know, say Joan Crawford and talk about that time period, and... You know, I don't know if I would be as deep into the classic film world as I would have been if I hadn't seen that movie at, yeah. at, at you know young age.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I think about like, what if there's this great anime Wong biopic and what yeah. that would do for young fans? Like, how intriguing that would be.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm trying to I can't think of the actress that was in the Sign of the Ram um, who was who was in a wheelchair. It's yeah, it's Susan Peters. Susan Peters, yeah, that's, Peters, you know, was actually one of the few next to, next to the performer from the best years of our lives, you know, who was actually physically disabled. Susan Peters had been shot accidentally in a hunting accident and used a wheelchair, but I mean, she was still making movies with a wheelchair, uh, which is, which is fantastic. The best years of our lives. Harold Russell was a, a performer. He won an honorary Oscar as well as the best supporting Oscar for the best years of our lives, playing Homer Parrish. And, and he had prosthesis for hands. And his story is really heartbreaking to me because he won the Oscar and he wanted to act more. And the director, William Wyler, you know, I've read I've read interviews of William Wyler where he says he had to break this to, to Harold Russell, and I'm just kind of like mm, where he says, you know, I had to write him a note and say, like, nobody wants And dude with no hands in their movies. Like you're only ever gonna be in this movie at this time because of the war. You're never gonna be in anything else. And he wasn't. He in Hollywood and doing other things. And that breaks my heart. You know that the ableism in Hollywood at that time was so pervasive that like the director's like, well, I had to tell him like he's he's living a dream. Like he's not gonna be a performer. You know, one of the movies that I I love that I talk about from perspective is Freaks. From 1932. And again, I'm still surprised that we I'm actually I'm not surprised that we don't have a biopic about that. You know, we, we talk a lot about like The Wizard of Oz and the making of that movie and the Munchkins. I think there's a biopic actually about the Munchkins specifically. In
0: there is. The rain Oz. it has Rainbow in the title.
1: Under I think it's Under the Rainbow.
0: Yeah. I but I don't know how right they get it or if exactly. if they're if they're doing exactly. the Culver Hotel orgy storyline, yeah. which I don't doesn't seem plausible to me. <laughs>
1: Um, I don't even know if it's readily available, but but I mean Freaks is, is one of the still one of the most uh, heavily disabled cast in film in American film history. And you know, I would love a biopic about that. I mean there's there's parts of film history that are still relevant today, you know, that I think that we should still see. I would mm-hmm. love to see other other biopics come up that show like, hey, you know, a lot of the stuff we're dealing with. They were still dealing with in 1932.
0: Yeah. You know, and you're talking about the Mommy Dearest being an entry. It's like, it really doesn't matter overall what the film does. Does does it draw you into it make you wonder about those details? Or does it make you want to know a little bit more?
1: Yeah. And Mommy Dearest is, you know, it's, it's this black sheep, I think, of the biopic world, right? It's still held up. It's like nobody wants to make a Mommy Dearest. Mommy Dearest still has, you know, at the time it had an A-list actress. You know, it had Frank Perry, who was a respected director, Um, you know, it had a lot of things going for it. And I maintain that that movie, you know, depending on your viewpoint, can still be a very terrifying look at abuse, whether you believe Christina Crawford or not. At the end of the day, it shows that feeling that I talked about with the Jay Mansfield story, Mm -hmm. you know, where you still get that elegance and that sophistication of that time period. There's beautiful costumes, beautiful sets in that that film. And that all comes from, you know, wanting to at least tell a story with purpose. And whether Mommy Garris succeeds in that or not, it still tells a story with purpose.
0: Yes. And I mean, I, I really liked what John Waters had to say about that film. I think he even did a commentary for it where he was talking about the moments when she's taking care of herself and, and getting herself, how much work it is to be a star, things like that. Yeah. It really does tap into the vulnerability one would feel in that role and, and, and the pressures.
1: What's sad is I've read of an extended cut, you know, or scenes that were cut out of the movie that would have shown more of the relationship between mother and daughter outside of the abuse that would have shown the the very complicated love-hate element that I wish had been given the opportunity to remain in the movie. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about what do audiences expect? Yeah. And I think that the belief from the studio is that audiences expect This smear campaign where it's got to be all about the abuse and not really about the complex family dynamics that no doubt existed in there. And I kind of wish that studio interference had maybe been lessened and we had seen something a bit more honest and nuanced be a, a bad, you know, abusive parent and still have that relationship with your children where your child does still love, you know? And and I think that that would have been interesting to see. I know a lot of people like Ryan Murphy's feud in terms of trying to quote-unquote right that relationship with Joan and her children. I don't really care for feud in the macro sense, but I think that it. there's a lot of... I've talked about this before. I think with with female biopics, specifically about classic film stars of the day, you know, we, we don't do enough To talk about why a lot of these women experience trauma in this time. You know, Judy Garland movies, you know, even the most recent one with Renee Zellweger and Judy, you know, you see Louis B. Mayer making horrific comments about her dad and stuff. And that's really it. The movie doesn't talk about the decades of of verbal verbal abuse and manipulation she experienced, not just from Louis B. Mayer, but a studio system that perceived her to not be attractive. You know, we, we talk about Joan Crawford and being an abusive mother, but we don't talk about the fact that a lot of these actresses felt they had to have children because that was what was expected of them as women. In order to have it all, it wasn't enough to just be a great actress. You yeah. also had to have a great family. And that was not something men were required to have. So I think that why a lot of women actresses are not given the biotech treatment is kind of this belief that they're all one size fits all when that's... So not
0: the case. hmm Because survival is this complicated thing. Actually, it's interesting yeah. that you would say that because I, I just I finished reading this Boyer biography and like wow, that was you know, it was a turbulent life, but there was just something that seemed so smooth about it. And then I realized, oh, it's because he's a man. <laughs> that exactly. there there were all these things that he just didn't have to deal with. Whereas like, you know, reading like Maureen O'Hara, for example, or like all the many Marilyn Monroe Dennis books. May-her. Yeah, there's 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 all this additional weight, and that is just an endless font of of drama. If if they really you know want that story, they want people yeah. to be interested. Because,
1: because female biopics in Hollywood tend to be about like. The struggles with keeping and retaining a family, you know, keeping a husband. Men, the problems are like communism, you know, government stuff. Like, it's serious business. Women in Hollywood, it tends to still be, we have to look at their domestic elements.
0: Well, that's what I thought was interesting about that, I keep going back to this, that t- Taylor flick in 95 was they did go deep into the AIDS activism. And I thought, wow, this is really unusual. I mean, of course you would have to tell that part of her story, but you really don't see that with an actress's story, that she's doing that kind of work. And... Yeah. Well, you also have to wonder, too, how
1: much of certain perceptions are because of who's still around. You know, we talk yeah. about changing names and stuff to protect the guilty. You know, I think about the Dueling Harlow movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Carol Lindley and Carol Baker, and they had to change a lot of studio names. And the stu- I love that they use like the Paramount Gates, but it's called like something else uh, because you're you're still dealing with people that are alive. The, the Sherilyn Fenn Liz Taylor movie, Liz Taylor, was still alive and was still performing when mm-hmm. they made that. So you have to kind of gild the lily a little bit if you're dealing with real people. It's why it's kind of the Wild West right now because a lot of these people and their families are no longer with
0: us in Wayne. And, you know, it depends on who's protecting the legacy, too. Like somebody like Harold Lloyd has somebody watching out for him, but there's many, many others that there's nobody. Veronica
1: Lake, I mean, has no estate. She has no, you know, none of that. So I could go make a Veronica Lake movie right now and say whatever I wanted. And there's there's very little blowback.
0: Well, talk about something that needs to be made and made correctly. Yeah. That's another one where there's so many stories and getting it right would be absolutely phenomenal
1: in my lifetime to see a Veronica Lake movie. I know that at one point her, her biographer and close friend Don Bain was working on something. He unfortunately passed away a couple years ago, and I don't know what happened with that script. You know, I've heard of a couple people when they find out I'm researching Veronica Lake, they're like, oh, this person's making a movie, and I say, yeah, 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 I'll believe it when I see You know, I have some thoughts. Like, I, I would love to see her story told, but I think that her story is a lot of, of Hollywood women's in yeah. a lot of different ways, and I think that I think I really just want to see more movies about, like, the struggles of being a star in the 1940s and being so defined by something. You know, mm-hmm. Veronica was defined by her hair. Um, you know, Betty Grable was defined by her legs. Yeah, there's this really interesting story that I think could be told about the commodification of women and packaged as literal body parts. I think until there's a female filmmaker that really has some clout and wants to tell that story, like, we're, we're going to keep seeing the same sad, tragic Marilyn movies
0: over and over <laughs> Yeah, and I really think that you do need that point of view. I mean, I think Peter Bogdanovich, you know, had a certain amount yeah. of... But I do agree that it's mostly going to be a, a woman because there's just no other way to get that perspective. Yeah, uh, who's behind the camera really does matter.
1: It does. It definitely does. I, I think that really if we want to keep fostering a love of, of old Hollywood, you know, it's not about rehashing the same... S- five celebrities it's got to be about reaching out and trying to find more unique takes on on some of these performers and finding new performers yes to tell stories about
0: yeah it's like maybe we're not done with Monroe but can I see Lena Horne <laughs> you know <laughs> Lena Horne oh my god and
1: again surprised that we are not doing that I mean and there's don't get me wrong there's white performers and I'm still surprised we have not biopicked to death like Ava yeah. Gardner or something yeah yeah,
0: she's been in some films that not featured, no.
1: Exactly. Like, I'm surprised we don't have 18 Ava Gardner movies. I, I know that there's been talk about Emily Ashford playing Judy Holiday, which, it, and again, another actress I'm shocked has not had yes. um, a biopic. And actually, I think a Judy Holiday movie would be amazing. You know, I was just saying about how male biopics tend to be about the government and communism. Uh, the Judy Holiday biopic they're talking about doing is about her yeah, dealing with QAC at that
0: time oh, and, I and she was great
1: to really kind of upend those expectations about what an old hollywood biopic for women looks like so yes i'm hoping it gets made i think it's still in pre-production right now a lot could change you know one of the other actors i always say i'm surprised does not have a movie is mary Pickford. they tried for several years um you know they had lily rave was associated yes. with it for a long time and I think the project they keep saying is is still happening. I'm putting that in air quotes, but the financing continually falls through. I've heard rumors from people associated with it that like it's just kind of one of those projects that they keep trying to raise money for. Where the money goes, we don't know, but yeah, they keep yeah. raising money for it. Uh, so who knows if that'll happen? You know, William Haynes, what, be first, if not you know, the first gay actor to get, forsake his career and say he wasn't going to pretend to be in the closet.
0: Before I let you go, anything that we haven't talked about? Any film that you think that people should just run out and see when we talk about these biopics?
1: Um, You know, Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe remains the one that I always say is definitely worth, worth watching. You know, I would just honestly say if you have the opportunity to watch some of these weird ones, watch them. Even if they're not good, they're fascinating time capsules of the time periods that they were made in about the perspectives of how we saw some of these yeah. performers. You know, if you have the chance to see the adaptation of My Wicked, Wicked Ways, the Errol Flynn by bi- Autobiography, like the TV movie is so weird. Guy sometimes, maybe, kind of a little bit, looks like Errol Flynn. Um, if you squint, uh, <laughs> the Audrey Hepburn story with Jennifer Love Hewitt is one of my favorite curiosity projects. Yeah. Um, again, you're talking about like big star name recognition playing a big star with name recognition.
0: It's an odd one, yeah.
1: It's an odd one. A lot of these are just fun oddities. I think yeah, and I, I yeah. miss that. Yeah, and if, if I know somebody always asks me, you know, well, who's who's a biopic that you would love to see made down the line? You know, I always say like Randolph Scott and Cary Grant. You know, McGonker feel biopic. My Lupe Velez biopic, Uh-oh. I would love to see happen. Um, I'd also love if, we're, if we we can have two Liz and Dick movies. Um, I would love to see a, a Shelley Winters, Anthony Franciosa biopic they're my I call them my low rent Burton and
0: Taylor Um, that would be fire (laughs) (laughs) I would like to see it but Kristen thank you so much for talking to me about this I do feel like we might have to have a part two sometime down the road (laughs) but um yeah yeah but very very fascinating I really appreciate you taking the time for more information about Kristen Lopez and ticklish business podcast and review site go to watchingclassicmovies.com. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Thank you for listening. This is Kendall Kruver, watching classic movies. Until next time.